Hello and welcome to the No Pun Included podcast. No Pun Included is a podcast about board games and the first podcast in the world about board games in Smellovision. I hope you enjoy. My name is Epka and with me I have Elaine. Nice. How do you smell Elaine? With my nose, Efka. Oh, I didn't expect that. That's funny you should say that because there is a game that we are going to be talking about that has skunks in it. That's true. And another game that does smell. Yes, actually. But fortunately, you were fibbing and it's not smell-a-vision. It's oh. just listen-a-vision. Why did you give it away? I know, I, I know. was. I was imagining the people trying to smell the smells and well i mean if like it would smell like screen i imagine i guess like our podcast would smell of screen i guess because that's that's what they would be smelling or headphones i mean sure yeah (laughs) don't smell your headphones kids what board games are we going to be talking about today today we have battlecon honey buzz and mandala I would like to just slightly correct you. Battlecon Remastered, 4th edition. (laughs) Let's talk about a game that we played today. And it is the game that smells. And that game is Mandala. Uh, So Mandala is an abstract game by Trevor Benjamin and Brett J. Gilbert. And it is exclusively a two-player game. In which you will get a lot of, and I mean a lot of, square cards, Mm -hmm. and you will place those cards on a cloth board. And that is precisely the item in this board game that smells. But I don't know why. It smells like, for anyone that doesn't have this game or whose copy doesn't smell, it smells like, you know when you get a scratch and sniff, Mm -hmm. and it's of something not very nice, so it's of, like bottom burps or something like that did you just say bottom burps yeah that's what it kind of smells like so it it doesn't smell like awful awful it just smells a bit oh what's that i mean i think bottom burps smell pretty (laughs) awful awful but uh for me the smell was more like um you know like a kind of chemicals factory smell yeah Yeah, it was that it it, it didn't smell of something rancid it smelled more like chemicals yeah Yeah. what is that where where was it and how was it made maybe from the printing ink yeah or cloth the printing cloth well, or whatever i don't know i'm happy to report that the smell in mandala is absolutely the worst thing about that board game yeah and everything else <laughs> isn't <laughs> yes would you like to tell us about mandala yes mandala is a game where you will be collecting cards of different colors uh, and you will have a hand of cards and you'll be able to play those cards to the middle of the board which is the mandala in order to build these mandalas uh, and they will be of different colors now there are six colors in total mm-hmm. in the game and uh, once each mandala there are two have all six uh, then it will resolve uh, and what that means is that you will in turn take the cards and put them in your personal section of your board uh, and they will score you points based on how far up the kind of track you've placed them and also how many cards of that same colour you have in a, what is called a bowl? The cup. Cup. Yeah. What is called a cup. Uh, And the way that you collect them is also from the middle of this board. I think you've done a fantastic job of explaining this game. And and I say that sheepishly only because I think there's a lot of terms in this game that are pure nonsense. Mountains. Mountains, rivers, cups... Uh, mandalas, uh, and there's two mandalas as well. Why you're building two remains unclear. Why you're competing at building these mandalas 
also remains unclear. And there's this sort of weird disconnect between the theme mm-hmm. and the mechanisms, where the mechanisms try to incorporate the theme, but it's very abstract. And I found that when I was teaching you this game, yes. I actually whilst the rules were incredibly simple, yeah. I struggled to explain it to you in a cohesive manner. Yes, where, I noticed. <laughs> where, it, like, any of it made any sense because I had to use all these weird terms, like the river or the field. Yeah. But I I think you did a very good job of actually summarizing the gist of the game. You play cards, two mandalas, yes. and then eventually once there's enough colors in those mandalas, they will score as we yeah, collect I, those cards back. I mean, I understand like mechanically why they have to differentiate between the mountain and the field and the yeah. cup and the river. But actually, when you're playing the game, that doesn't matter so much. It's just sections of the board exactly. or the, the map that you that you have. And some of it is your own kind of personal sections and some of it is shared and some of it is your opponent's section. Well, now that you mentioned these sections, I want to talk about the first interesting bit Mm -hmm. uh, of the game, which is that each mandala is effectively a battlefield, right? Yeah. You're you're sort of like uh, playing a tug of war on two different sides. And that's the global vision of the game, I think. Uh, But what happens is that you have different areas that you can play cards to in that mandala. The field. The the central (laughs) area being the mountain, which is whenever you put a card in the mountain, that's going to be a card you will later hopefully pick up, pick up right. and it will go into your scoring area right. and become something that you score. Right. Whereas something that you play in the field is only a card that contributes towards who gets to pick cards first yes. from the mountain. Yeah, it's like a little race of how many cards you have and who can get there quick enough to take the cards that they want from the mountain. Well, there's one little problem that gets in the way. Mm-hmm. Each area can only... Whilst there's already a card of that color, uh, you can play more cards of that color, right? Yes. But you cannot play cards of a color that are in the different areas in that mandala. Yes. So if somebody added a yellow card towards the mountain, which is one of the cards that hopefully we're going to be scoring, then more players can add cards, yellow cards, to, to the, the mountain. mountain. Mm-hmm. However, nobody can add yellow cards to any of the fields, right? Mm-hmm. And because the cards... In that mandala. In that mandala, can, yes. They can add them to the other mandala. Yes. But not that one. And because the cards in your hand continuously circulate between the two mandalas and the different areas, mm-hmm. uh, you always want to find how best to utilize the cards that you have currently and win the important majorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's like a majority thing, isn't it? Yeah, I am immediately enamored by this game because whilst, as we're describing it, I I realize it sounds very dry, there's colors, you play them to areas, it's a tug of war, right? Uh, Mandala is one of those games that no matter how much you describe, I think it's always going to sound dry, Mm -hmm. but on the table, it becomes very much alive. And um, it feels like... There's never, like, a good decision, right? Like, that you're always making compromises, and you there's just about enough to do in this game that you always feel torn between, like, which card should I play? Where should I play it? Is this a good move? Is this a bad move? Mm-hmm. And and there's mm-hmm. nothing happening, nothing's happening, that there's that moment that I really like in two-player competitive games mm. where you play something, and then immediately after you've done it, you go, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> Yeah. So someone asked me, yeah. what's your favorite mechanism? I said, oh no, what have I done is my <laughs> yeah. favorite mechanism. Coming back to your point earlier where you said, I don't understand why there are two mandalas. Mm-hmm. 
I don't agree no, th- with that. No, thematically, I mean. Oh, thematically. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. okay. No, sure. But, but I think it's always hard to describe an abstract game without mm. it sounding dry. If you describe someone Azul or if you describe someone War Chest, they all sound very dry. Right. Yeah. But it's when you play the game and you see it, mm-hmm. it comes alive. Well, it's funny that you mention Azul because so much of Azul is beautiful, mm-hmm. but it is that like abstract little puzzle mm-hmm. that is immediately accessible. Like you immediately, as soon as you start, like someone explains the rules to Azul, you go, okay. Uh-huh. And then you start playing and you go, oh, oh okay. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, but then there's other parallels with, with Azul as well. Mm-hmm. Visually, Mandala is pretty. Yes. Right. And you have this nice cloth battlefield. And it is like, it's like a tablecloth, yeah. right? Uh, and the artwork is very nice. It's very colorful because mandalas are made out of colored sand. Mm. Uh, the cards that you have are sand cards, which I still... They're really not made of sand. Really struggle <laughs> with as a concept. Uh, but they have pretty kaleidoscopic colors on them, yeah. right? And one uh, of them looks like a dartboard. One of them does look mm. like a dartboard. Uh, but what I then struggle with, and it's the same as with Azul, right? right? There are some minor, minor decisions in terms of not really the game, but the production of the game, right? right? Okay. Then I'm like, why? Why, have, why you have you done this? Like what? Uh, well... For one, the square cards. Yes. Right? So this is a game where uh, you're going to spend about 15 minutes playing it. You're going to have a great time. You're going to be done. And then you're going to go, I want to play again. Uh, And because the way the cards are discarded in the game, they're always discarded in bunches of the same color. Yes. And what you don't want when you start the game is the deck to be just stacked of bunches of the same color. (laughs) No. So you You need to shuffle every time. Yeah, you want to shuffle it pretty well. And square cards are so difficult to shuffle. Mm. They are incredibly frustrating, right? So that's one of the things that really bothers me. It's a 15-minute game, and after... Every 15 minutes, I'm going to spend 10 minutes. (laughs) Shuffling. But it does make it smaller because the cards are square rather than like like a playing card sized, right? It does make the the whole board smaller because otherwise you would have to fit them all on. I don't think they would take up that much more space. Honestly, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just you saying. You can lay cards horizontally or whatever, <laughs> right? Like I th- and, and most of the time, colors stack, right? Yes. The only time they sort of expand is where you have your own river, which is your own scoring area, uh, where they would sort of balloon a little bit out of proportion, I think, because you have to have six of them in a horizontal row. But, but still, I think horizontal, like regular playing cards would have been fine. Maybe they measured like some kind of plane table or train table or something that they went no this has to be this exact size because if it was a centimeter bigger then it wouldn't fit on it so we have to reduce the size of the cards Uh, or maybe they just went hey let's not use playing card size cards let's make this funky i'm enjoying your flight of fancy (laughs) i don't think that's what happened no probably not Uh, coming back to the game a little bit one of the things that uh we haven't mentioned is actually how you score points in this game and that's again another really clever part so i have mentioned the river which is where you place your cards when you collect them from the mandalas uh when the mandala resolves and is scored right uh so the first time you get a card of a certain color you will uh put it in your river if you haven't had it before right uh any more cards of that color that you get 
at the same time or later in the game mm -hmm. will go into your cup. cup yeah. Now, that first card is not going to score you any points, but it's going to be an indication of how much that color is worth. worth yeah. So if the whatever card you score first from the mandala, let's say you score the black card first, that's going to go in your river, and it means that every black card from then on that you collect is going to be worth only one point. One point. And mm. then they say you get green, green is going to be worth two points, and so on and on and on. So this entire game really sings based on this one design element that I really love is that you get two random cards yes. to your cup yes, at the beginning of the game and you look aha I have purple and red and that means that if I manage to leave purple and red till the fifth and sixth slot mm -hmm. somehow never get any purple mm -hmm. or red cards and then get a lot of purple and red cards at the end of the game mm -hmm. I will take away a lot of points and of course, Mandala is one of those great games where you, you think, okay, this is the one strategy, and if I push it really hard, uh, you're going to get burned. Yeah, I'm not sure that's true, what you said. Because when, yeah. you, when you told me the rules, you said you really have to pay attention to what is in your cup to begin with. Yeah. Like, that's, that's so crucial. And I was mm. like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then I started playing it, and I was like, mm, is it really, though? Because they don't affect how many you can collect during mm. the game. No, that's true. So if you start with one orange and one purple, for example, you could have 10 black by the end of the game. So if the orange was in one, it wouldn't really matter. I agree with you, but I think that theory relies heavily on the quality of your opponent. Uh, <laughs> well, that's fair. Right, because if your opponent doesn't stop you from doing that, they're doing something wrong. Because that's, again, another great thing that's really nice and welcoming and and very transparent, right? Because of how your opponent has played out uh, their cards and because the river is open, you can see what your opponent is going to score points for and how much, it's sometimes very obvious what is going on. And if it's, it's the true? onus on your opponent to spot that you're doing that and end the game before you manage to do mm -hmm. that. And ending the game isn't particularly difficult, like... Or even just ending a mandala, honestly. Yeah. Like, that yeah. that becomes quite a big decision. You don't even have to... It doesn't even have to be the game-ending mandala. Like, there were times when the thing... That, the card that I was going to play, I completely changed what I was going to do because of what you played. Mm. Because suddenly this mandala was going to potentially resolve, mm -hmm. right? And you were going to score a lot of points off it. So how do I then get on the back of that and score points off that mandala too? Or do you pivot completely and just force the other mandala to resolve sooner, right? If, if you can. If yeah. you can. And and that's that's the beauty of the two battlefields kind mm, of, you know, mm, being absolutely. present. Absolutely. Uh, you always have so many choices and it's uh, there's there's some nice push your luck moments where you like can I get the right cards mm. if I don't have the right cards to end the mandala can I do it by just drawing cards and playing them uh, it's lovely I, I think it's very nice how transparent it is about what your goals are mm. what you're trying to achieve and there's always being tension between those things yeah I really liked how at some points we were fighting over the same mandala like clearly mm -hmm. we were you were playing a card I was playing card you were playing a card like to that that part of the mountain mm -hmm. um and like we were completely ignoring the other mandala and mm -hmm. then there were other times when we were kind of playing our own games yeah and then suddenly like so so part of the game is if you don't play any cards at all to your field mm -hmm. then you can't score from that mandala at all when it resolves mm -hmm. so there were times when we were kind of playing our own mandalas and then we would go, oh, we need to actually get in on this. And yeah, you only yeah, have yeah. to play one card there and then you can score from it. 
And and that was really interesting because you do have to keep an eye on both at the same time. Or not even. Sometimes I the cards, because because again, you don't want to take some cards to score early right. because they're in your cup. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You sometimes might deliberately ignore a mandala yeah. just in the hopes that it goes away. Because whilst you won't get any cards from it, you will still get a choice which of the cards to trash so your opponent doesn't get them. And you're like, okay, so if I play this clever, you know, I can deny you enough points... Did you ever try and bluff me? I, I did, yeah. Okay, absolutely. I didn't, I didn't, I did. That didn't come across. Yeah, I was yeah. just so into my own game that I didn't mm. really notice that. I think people can tell that we're quite enamored with Mandela. Yeah, I, I, liked I, it. I, I think it's a very good game. Once you get past the smell, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah and, and I think my favorite thing about it is the length. The fact that it's just 15 minutes, but it feels just right. Like the scope of the game, it gets really heated very quick. Uh, you get drawn into it, but you know it's. I'm gonna compare it to a hot bath, right? Okay. Um. So you know when you have your bath too hot, I do, and you get really giddy afterwards, <laughs> and it's annoying and it's unpleasant, right? You know, I, you know, I've started uh, showering with cold water after I finish my bath, and that seems to help. Oh. Anyway, sorry, just a, a pro tip there. Pro um, tip to no, listeners amateur, about bathing. Amateur tip. Yeah. We told you this is presented in Smell-O-Vision and we meant it. <laughs> this podcast will make you smell better. So back to Mandala. Uh, I'm going to compare it to... Why is it like bathing? Well, because it's it's that perfect temperature of a bath, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't get too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you What? Know, <laughs> you dip into a game, right? And you get out of it before it starts making you feel giddy. I see. Right? So it's kind of like the, the Goldilocks thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's not too hot and it's not too long. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was good. And I think potentially you could teach it um, pretty easily if you kind of didn't worry too much about the terminology and it, the rivers and the mountains and the fields, and you just taught it to people with it in front of you and said this section does this this section does this i think it would probably be a lot easier to teach yeah i would uh, honestly suggest to when if you're learning mandala uh, don't incorporate any of the terms (laughs) just like areas right like teach people with areas learn with areas i think you're gonna have a better time and maybe enjoy the artwork a little bit more because i was getting frustrated with all the terminology that made everything very confusing Elaine, I would like to talk about Honeybuzz mm. or the game that presents itself as the game where the bees have learned economics. And <laughs> that's what I read to you from the rule book, wasn't it? It was. Like, that was the yeah. first thing. I I started reading the rule book and I was like, oh no, <laughs> because this is ridiculous already. Like, you're a bee and you've discovered economics. <laughs> um, it's charming. It I, is completely charming. I, I was surprisingly won over by it. It's a very strange game, however. So it's the complete opposite of Mandala. Yeah. Because uh, when you... It's you're, all theme. Yeah. Uh, it, it, hey, it's all theme. Uh, that doesn't make any sense, but whatever, right? But when you open the box of Mandala, mm. right, you get a pack of cards and a smelly tablecloth, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice looking tablecloth, but like... <laughs> That's it, right? Uh, when you open up the box for Honey Buzz, and mind you, we did get the uh, deluxe upgraded component set. So, uh, you know, fair warning that not not components in this world are made equal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did get the deluxe set, and 
there's a surprising amount of extravagance within the components of Honey Buzz. Yeah, maybe. We are talking about different shaped honey pieces that are these little gelatinous blobs that yeah. look cute, feel strange. They're, and they're uh, rubbery. They're rubbery. They, they're translucent. They look like honey. You kind of want to eat it. You shouldn't because it's rubber. There's... A whole like honey spoon? What do you call it? Is it like a spoon? No, honey twirler. Honey I don't twirler. Know. Yeah, yeah, right. Whatever. Like you know, like the wooden thing with yeah. the grooves cut through it. So there's that thing in it, completely superfluous because it's the first player token, yeah. which doesn't change over the course of the game. No. So one player gets it, gets to go, ha ha, <laughs> I have this, and then put it down and forget about it, and uh, then stir the honey in their tea with it. Well, maybe. Or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, there's uh, beeples. So yeah. not only are there bees that are meeples yeah. or or meeples shaped like bees, beeples, yeah. people get what it is, uh, but there's also a fuzzy beeple and uh, there's like acrylic tiles, uh, there's an insert, uh, there's all kinds of things. It's completely preposterous. The fuzzy beeple for some reason has um, a hole in it and I was pouring through the rule book and everything trying to work out what it was for and I said you what is this hole for I've no idea I can't work out what this component even is for and you were like yeah it's for nothing you looked it up on BGG didn't you and I like, did yeah. yeah it's it's for nothing no one knows why it's it has a hole in it but I, I actually like the the base components too so if you mm-hmm. don't get the upgraded version the the base components are still pretty nice like you you have cardboard tiles instead of mm. acrylic tiles and yeah. uh, you don't have fuzzy beeples but you do have really cute artwork still like the the core of this game is still really cute and really nicely produced not only are you right mm. right but i'm gonna immediately try and douse people's fogo with a cold bucket of mm-hmm. hard facts um so honey buzz uh, and the verdict's coming soon is a nice game mm-hmm. and i did like it mm-hmm. But I would not recommend anyone spend what I spent, which was a hundred pounds oh, in total, okay. right? For the wooden coins and the all the upgraded stuff. Okay, some of it is nice, uh-huh. but it's so superfluous. All, not only because of that, but I don't think that Honey Buzz is a game that someone's going to treasure for years and years and years and years. And the more there are games with these ultra nice deluxe components, the more I'm thinking... This is becoming really expensive, and I'm not sure I want this, because most of the time I'm going to try a game and go, well, this was alright, but there are better games, I'm going to sell it on. I'm not going to toss out a verdict of like, oh, I'm going to get rid of Honey Buzz mm. or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, because it's I enjoyed this game, uh, we played it once, and I would love to play it a little mm-hmm. bit more. I'm not sure it's a game that deserves that much lavishness. I don't know, there might be some people that really love this. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about how you play it? Okay, um... So Honey Buzz is a game of tile laying and economics, or mm. economics. Do they call it economics? They don't. No, and they don't. I That's think they missed, missed a trick, right? <laughs> yeah. economics. It's freebie. Just, you know, for the expansion or whatever. So in Honey Buzz, you will be collecting <laughs> four different types of honey. Yes. Uh, there's acacia. And wild. Fla- yeah. So wild. Yeah. yeah. Honey, right? Honey. Different types. Four. And some of them are better than others. Yes. And some of them, the ones that are better than others, are harder to get than others. But what the way you get honey, and the way you do anything in this game, is you have worker meeples. 
And at the start of the game, you only start with one. Although you can get up to like 10 or something like yes. that. And uh, that meeple can be sent to one of the six or five areas on the board. I think it's six. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the only tension there is that if there's already yours or someone else's people there, then you have to send two beeples. And if there's someone's two beeples, you have to send three beeples mm -hmm. and so on. Right? So you send them to one of the areas and then you get a double hexagonal tile. You know? Like, so two hexagons can join together. And then you put it in somewhere in your hive, which is a collection of tiles that already exist. The trick that is happening there, here is that as you're building these tiles, you're building a space that is surrounded by tiles, but it itself is a hole. Yeah. And whenever you complete a hole, which mm -hmm. is strange, right? <laughs> all the hexagons that actually depict an action around that hole will trigger and Correct. you will get to yeah. do all of those actions. Yes. Which is immediately a mechanism I'm in love with because yeah. it's saying, hey, on your turn, might not do much, but you're building towards something, building towards something. And it always asks you, how long do you want to spend building it? Because you could spend like three tiles to build a mm -hmm, hole mm -hmm. or you can spend like six tiles to build a hole and because each tile has one blank space and mm -hmm. one action space you know you could be yeah. like i'm gonna complete a hole and then do six actions right yeah and on that point the different types of honey that you can get depend on how you have built your hole yes uh, depend on the outside of the hole because the tiles have different colours on them. Edges. Different edges, yeah, yeah, different edges on them. And the way that you uh, tessellate these tiles mm. depends on what types of honey you can get. Exactly. And th th that's so that's the second part of the puzzle. Mm. Because once you've built a hole... Uh, you want to fill it with honey. You want to <laughs> fill it with honey. And the way you do that, one of the actions lets you move the fuzzy people uh -huh. on this whole separate board of tiles uh -huh. and when you get the right tile with the right colored edges uh -huh. it can go into your hole as nectar as nectar yep. mm -hmm. and then once you perform a different kind of action that nectar produces honey, honey. and then the then way you can you, sell your honey the, then you can sell your honey and there's a whole market with like mm -hmm. a sliding scale and stuff like that uh so some honey will be worth more at the start of the game but it might become worth less it depends on what people do. And yes. that's the nice part of the game. Um, so that's sort of it. There's, there's not much more to describe about Honey Buzz in terms of excitement. I think that initial that's mechanism... That's the buzz. That, uh. <laughs> that initial mechanism uh. of how you surround the hole, that's the interesting part of the game. Everything else is sort of fine? Yeah. Yeah, I think it tries to keep things pretty simple like with mm. this kind of changing economics of the different types of honey um the honey price never goes back up mm -hmm. so you can't buy or sell to to shoot the price up you it only well, ever goes obviously down. the bees have never learned to you know buy low sell high no <laughs> they haven't but i, I feel they like just learned that, to sell <laughs> the pictures depicted in the game i like them selling it to the bears and whatever you know like yeah there's a skunk the, the, the aforementioned skunk, the skunk right yeah i think there's squirrels and things in there as well buying honey i can't quite remember uh but it it's very cute um and there's even like a baby bee with a little um oh my sleepy god with a little on. sleepy hat the baby bee <laughs> the action space that lets you get more beeples yeah. is a little baby bee. It and is. the cutest thing is that when you get the baby bee, you don't get it immediately. <laughs> it you have to, to go send to, it to school. school. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh no! Uh, oh, yeah. Elaine, Which you broke this podcast. Mechanically, is that when you get your workers back, you get that one extra worker yes. back. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes. I know. You spent the whole game just going, ah, <laughs> baby, <laughs> baby bees. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, so I think they've tried to keep everything pretty simple mm. in this game. This is the action spaces that you can take. You can always go there as long as you've got enough workers. Mm. Like nothing mm. really blocks anything. Uh, this is how you get the nectar. This is how you get the honey. This is how you sell it. And this is how you make money in it. The money also is different shapes like acorns and bear paws and whatever i mean so i don't disagree with you Mm. i I think it's nice that this game is accessible Mm -hmm. right and i think although i hesitate to compare it to wingspan because they are nothing alike right i i i I am throwing it out there there are a couple of elements that do sort of overlap so first of all i think you explained that you know uh, all the actions are pretty simple pretty pretty mm. self-explanatory so uh, there's that you know sort of jump of accessibility it is adorable although it is adorable in a different kind of way mm-hmm. wingspan is aspirational in that sense that you know you have these pretty pictures of birds and it lets you imagine being a bird watcher and i think that's very nice what honeybuzz does is different as you heard me squeaking in this podcast <laughs> about baby bees it really punches into the adorable you know um aspect of the game but also there's um uh, that overlap of very nice components you know yeah. it's a game that's nice to feel yeah and nice to it touch is. right and also the rule book is made out of the same paper so if oh, you ever is. if yeah. you ever touch the like wingspan linen-y. Rule, yeah linen-y. Mm. if you ever touch the wingspan rule book same magic paper in the honey buzz as well so there's some strange overlaps between these games. Uh, I think they're both accessible, both not overly complex, but strategic uh, Euro games. Yeah, yeah. I think w- when you say accessible, I think you mean approachable. Yeah, really, yeah. In the, in the sense that you Sorry, could, yes, you're you, right. Yeah, it is approachable rather than accessible. You could bring in yeah. newer players that mm-hmm. maybe have, haven't got so much experience with games. From an accessibility standpoint, I don't really know. There's there's not red and greens or anything like that, so mm. maybe that's helpful. Um, and the pieces are quite chunky, so I didn't have any trouble with moving them around. And and sometimes, you know, my fingers don't don't work as well as they yeah, should. That's so, true. Yeah, that's true. So you know, that was pretty good for me. There was nothing that I couldn't handle in this game. And tactile is very tactile. It feels very nice. But yeah, I think you you mean approachable. But one thing I want to say about the rule book is that um, it's it's very good. Like, it's a very easily approachable rule book as well. The mm-hmm. only thing is, is that towards the end, it starts talking about so the solo game and blah, blah, blah. And so I kind of skipped that out because we weren't playing the yeah. solo game. But then on the very back page is a very important thing, which I didn't read uh, because I thought it's it was to do just with a, scoring of the game. it's yeah, to do with yeah. scoring of the game. And it says that after... It talks about other things. So if you... Especially after it talks about scoring, right? Yeah. So you feel like you've... Okay, I understand. Yeah, right? it's already talked about like how you score, yeah. but then mm. it goes on to talk about it later again. So uh, that was a little bit frustrating. But otherwise, it's it's very good. Well, very well explained. The, the last thing I want to touch about Honeybuzz, and it's a peculiarity of the game, mm. uh, was that there are action spaces and there are actions mm-hmm. that cost you victory points. So there's only one economy in this game, sure. money yeah. or... Like, the money is depicted by acorns and nuts and stuff like that, right? But money. <laughs> so, money is the resource that you get, and honey is the resource that you always sell, yes. right? And there's four different types of honey. 
So there are no victory points. There's just money. Mm -hmm. And there are actions that cost you not just money, but a significant amount of money. So there's one action space uh, that lets you get a tile that will produce a wild action when you mm -hmm. place it as mm -hmm. an action of your choice. That's at the cost of five victory points, yeah. where you score about 150 over the course of the game, I'm guessing? Yeah, it's very, it's fairly high scoring. Yeah. Um, but the, there is another action where if you want to move your... To grab the right tiles with beeple, the fuzzy bee. Yeah, with the fuzzy beeple. If you can move one space, or you can move additional spaces, as many as you like, for two victory points each. Yeah. And I'm not sure how that's weighted, because the game feels very strange. It feels very by the numbers at first but then you realize that actually there's a third hidden resource in the game and that resource is tempo mm. because the game very quickly becomes a race and it's it stops being about efficiency mm. and more like if i keep fiddling around with these things i'm not going to do all the things i want to do no matter how efficient i am no right so there's there's a balance between tempo and efficiency that you discover maybe you know with further plays that ridiculous cost of victory points is sort of fine, but I always had this pervading sense as I was playing the game, this feels too much, I don't know, I don't know why I would ever want to do this, and I did it just to try mm -hmm, it, and mm -hmm. it turned out fine, I won the game. But I I don't know, there was a strange feeling to uh, cost in action so much in victory points, but that is only relevant to anyone who spent a lot of time with games, I think. And Yeah, uh, quite probably, although having said that, I think if if you're the person teaching it, then I think it's worth saying that this action costs you five or two yeah. or whatever, which is significant. significant. Yeah. I mm. think that's that person's responsibility to say it to, to newer players. Mm. Because I don't think you would grok that immediately of how mm. much that is actually worth. And and to do it when it's necessary not just willy-nilly because you fancy doing it mm. it especially felt strange because once again it's a system that progressively makes spaces that are desirable in the game more expensive to land on because you mm. have the whole uh, economy of how many workers you mm -hmm. have and then if you don't have enough workers you have to reset means spend a turn doing nothing mm -hmm. and uh if if there is a space that's incredibly desirable like you know, this is a wild tile. Obviously, everyone's going to, you know, just drop their beeples there, making it hard to access to begin with. But putting five victory points, it makes no one want to go but maybe there. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's maybe why. Maybe that's why. So you just don't do it willy-nilly, right? I because otherwise it would be too good. Right. But what I mean is that maybe that cost is too much. Like, waited so far the, the other way. That it becomes not just like... Sure, okay. But then then perhaps when they've playtested it or whatever, there needs to be a space where there is a wild because mm. there might be points where you're uh, dead-ended, right? Mm. And you can't do anything at right. all or what you need to do. But they've made it so hard to get because you only will want to do it in that situation where you can do nothing else. Right, so that's my criticism. It feels like glue. It doesn't feel like <laughs> mechanisms. It feels like glue, sure. right? Okay, yeah, yeah. that's fair. Um, but I like this game. I thought it was sweet, and also it hurt my brain quite a lot trying to. Oh, because it's a spatial puzzle, and you struggle with those a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. But just trying to balance where I was putting my bees and how much, how many bees I was having to use for an action was that worth it versus do, doing a different action. I was. It was very sweet, and and I enjoyed it quite a lot. And that's honey buzz. buzz. 
Finally, let's talk about the Street Fighter on your table, Battlecon, devastation of, I want to say, Indines or Indines. I am not sure. Also, Trials, Battlecon Trials of Indines, and then also Battlecon War of Indines, <laughs> all in the fourth edition, all remastered. Nice. So, um, Battlecon is a game that's been around for a while. In fact, it was first published in 2012, and uh, the major version of it, the big box version of it, is called Devastation of Indines. Uh, we, uh, there's also smaller boxes in differing sizes, so the smallest is Trials of Indines, and uh, the medium size is War of Indines, and the big ridiculous box is Devastation of Indines. It's confusing, uh, but there's actually even more of it out there. It's just, I'm not sure that they've been put into 4th edition or not, or will they be? I have no idea. But basically, there's a lot of Battlecon out there. And what Battlecon is, regardless of which box you buy, is primarily a two-player versus Street Fighter Tekken. on your Tekken or whatever on your tabletop. Right. Did you prefer Tekken or Street Fighter? I think Street Fighter, yeah. Oh, okay. I preferred yeah. Tekken. Well, Street Fighter's old school, you know? It's the classic yeah, guess, one, right? Yeah. Uh, now, okay, so I'll be honest with you. I have... Was it on a Mega Drive, though? Yeah, mine was, yeah, mine see, was on a Mega Drive. I never had a Mega Drive. So. I had a Super Nintendo and oh, I had a Mega what? Drive. Oh, okay, it's enough. Right. It's enough. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and you could, you, I had Street Fighter on either of those. Oh, come on. Yeah, I, right. I had a NES. Well, I only grew up in the Soviet Union, so we only had, like, oh, knockoffs, right? Like, <laughs> cool. every, everything was bootlegged. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, sorry, please continue. Yeah, so Street Fighter and its ilk are always video games I've enjoyed in theory. Mm -hmm. I like the sound of it. I'm obviously, you know, rubbish at it because I have fingers like a sausage and I don't have the most amazing manual dexterity. And what you need in those games is super quick reaction and like great manual dexterity, not to just mash buttons, but yeah. you need to you need to outsmart your opponent. So Battlecon in theory does exactly what I want. Because not only does it put Street Fighter on the table, but it goes, this isn't exactly Street Fighter. This is Street Fighter, but it's zoomed in in time. And that time has been paused, right? Yeah. In that moment where you need to decide what you're gonna do and how you're going to counter what you think your opponent is going to do. Yeah, you can you can kind of try and mash the buttons and hope for the best sometimes, but it's probably not going to end well. Exactly, right? Mm. And it's the same in this you're game, right. right? You could just play any card you wanted. Uh -huh. It probably won't end well. Uh -huh. Before we go more into the mechanisms, I want to just touch a little bit on the differences between the three different boxes. Mm -hmm. Because regardless of which box you buy, you will get the full game. Mm. What you will get by buying the bigger boxes is a larger roster of characters. Sure, yeah. And they do work as an expansion for each other. So, because all the characters in all the boxes are completely different, mm -hmm. uh, you can buy all three boxes if you really would want it for some reason mm -hmm. and get, you know, 17,000 different characters or whatever. <laughs> That's quite uh, a lot. Yeah, it's a big number. And also the very big box, the Devastation of Indines box, has a lot of various guff that you probably won't need like you know solo or co-op modes or you know stuff that you, like you go in a dungeon and find like stuff that isn't really what this game has been built for 
and stuff that it's probably not going to excel. I didn't even try, but I have no desire to try. It might be great if you've played it a few times and then you want a bit of a different experience. I haven't played either, either of those either, so I don't know. Let me get into the mechanisms a little bit more. Uh, what you do in Battlecon is first you will pick a fighter and mm -hmm. then you will pitch that fighter uh, on uh, a battlefield against your opponent. You can play with three or four players, but primarily I think this is a two-player game. And that battlefield is simply some steps on a board. And so it looks three-dimensional, but is effectively two-dimensional because you, you only move left or right. Yeah, they're like stepping stones. Is yeah, what they look exactly, like, yeah. yeah. You will pick a fighter, your opponent will pick a fighter, and then each fighter has two different hands of cards. Mm -hmm. You have what are called styles, which always go to the left, and you have what are called bases, which go to the right. Mm -hmm. Now, for the exception of but one base, which is unique to your fighter, all the bases are identical. Mm -hmm. So they're like strike or drive or grasp or dodge. And styles are always unique to mm -hmm. your fighter. So they'll be like whirlwind or <laughs> tornado fireball. or freeze or fireball. <laughs> yeah. And then what you do in this game, each time you play cards, you play cards together with mm -hmm. your opponent secretly you pitch them face down you pitch two cards one style and one base and together they will form your attack so you'll get a freezing drive a tornado grasp or mm. fireball dodge i don't know how that would work but fireball dodge yeah because right? you dodge yeah. and then you chuck a fireball i suppose exactly as right you dodge. and on those cards there are a bunch of different stats like mm -hmm. your range and your Speed, which is called priority in this mm -hmm. game. Uh, How you, much you hit for? Also. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have defense as well. Mm -hmm. Various statistics, but only by combining these two cards together do you get the full picture yes. of the statistics, right? Because on, on their own, the cards are meaningless. It's only the combination of the two of them that actually inform you of what you're going to be doing. That is cool, right? But what's really cool, and I love Battlecon for this, is that whilst you both get a go mm -hmm. on your turn, mm -hmm. the rules of the game as written are, if you deal your opponent damage, and their defense or guard or whatever it is, is lower than the number of damage they've been dealt, they have to skip their turn. Because they've been stunned. Because they've been stunned. And that just changes everything <laughs> immediately, right? Uh, because instead of just looking at the stats and going, this will probably do, this will probably do, you're just aching over it because one wrong step and you don't get to do anything. And it's entirely possible that not only are you not going to get to do anything, but you're also going to be whammed for a lot, right? Mm. And that's where the real dynamics of the game come in and that's where it really, really comes alive. Having said that, where it gets a lot more complicated is that there are about 5,000 different variables that you want to consider. Uh, because first of all, am I in range to hit my opponent? Yes. Uh, is my opponent in range to hit me? You know, uh, can what I... What are they going to do what on are they their turn do? to get yeah. themselves in range to hit me? Yeah, is their priority going to be high enough to go first or can I beat that? Mm -hmm. uh, can I just put my guard up and hopefully hit them back for a lot more? Mm. Uh, can I dodge the attack entirely and maybe we both do nothing? You just go on and on in circles and circles and circles. And of course, because each turn your opponent doesn't just have like five different choices, but because the two cards are combined, yeah. there's an infinitesimal number of possibilities <laughs> of what's yes. going to happen. You just sit there for a good 10 minutes going, what is it that am I going to do? Right. Yeah. And 
that can get, I think, a bit polarizing in terms of whether people are going to enjoy this game or not. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of a real-time game like Now Boarding in, in that sense that there's a lot, a lot, a lot of planning and then suddenly it all happens. Yes. Uh, and w like whereas in the video games or whatever, you're, you're going bam, 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 bam all the time. Uh -huh. uh, in this, there's a lot of planning. And there's, there's two things that, that I want to mention to pick up on what you've said is that first of all, you get tokens that you can spend in order to kind of bump one of your stats so you can bump the guard or you can bump the uh, attack whatever it's called yeah um, or you can bump your priority and you're you're aching over whether you want to do that or not you're looking at your opponent in the eye going is your priority gonna be too high anyway mm. whether I play this or not or is it gonna be so low that it doesn't even matter whether I play this my favorite part is that you can only spend these force tokens when you've already played the yes. cards, but before you have revealed them. So, you know, you can't change your cards, that's it. And there's this sort of almost like a stare down happening. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, what did you out. do? Uh, uh, the other cool thing uh, that I don't think we've picked up on is that how well balanced the, the cards are. Mm. So, so like you said, you know, uh, you have basically the same cards in one of the types of decks and then you have your own cards in the other deck. But uh, at the beginning of the game, you each give each other... That didn't make sense. You know what I mean? Uh, a, a list of what you have yeah. as your special abilities and your basic abilities. So you know whenever what your opponent has played, you can see that is open information. You can see what they've played and you can refer to this little card telling you uh -huh. what they've got in their hand uh -huh. and see whether they've played the thing that is going to stop you doing the thing or not yet, whether they've still got it to play. Now, that sounds good in theory. The way it works <laughs> in practice is I look at these two little cards to tell me what all your possible moves are and go, ah, that's too much. I'm already thinking about 17 billion different possibilities that I can do. <laughs> right. Now I have to worry about the 17 different possibilities that you can do. And what it mostly boils down to is just... I'm going to put these cards to the side and try and remember vaguely what it is that your character can do and try and intuit. Yeah, you, you really do. And because, so the way that it works is when you play cards, those cards then go into a kind of discard pile, but it's like a, a little uh, chain. Yeah, like, sliding yeah, discard pile. Like a sliding pile. discard pile. Yeah. So you have two different discard piles. So the, the cards that you played go in the first discard pile. The cards that are in the first discard pile go into the second one. The ones that are in the second one go back to your hand. So there's all these kind of possibilities of what has been played, what hasn't been played. And I know that I was looking at your little reference card going, well, and like trying to do the maths, mm. right? Going, well, I really want to get priority this round. What cards have you got on the table? Like what's the maximum priority that you could get? Oh, but are you actually going to be doing that? Because that gives you a shorter range. And like, it was just breaking my thought process completely. I've left out a couple of key bits as mm -hmm. well still that I think really seal the deal on BattleCon. So number one is finishes, right? Remember you mentioned force that you can pitch yes. uh, towards upgrading your stats a little bit, that, yes. right? Well, force can be used for another thing. If you have enough force, meaning equal to your life total, so this becomes easier and easier the more battered up you get, mm -hmm. you can play a special card called Switch. And if you have enough force, 
switch resolves, and your entire attack, regardless of what you played, gets discarded, and instead you get to do your finisher, which mm -hmm. is once per game, special ability, attack, and if you pull it off, it feels amazing. Spoilers, I've played this game a bunch. <laughs> I've never landed a finisher yet. No. I always thought I was going to. It's like, yes, this is the time. And then I forgot like 17 other different variables. And, uh -huh. uh, yeah. Uh, it never happened yet. I'm looking forward to it when it's going to happen. Uh, and the second bit uh, that we haven't mentioned yet is that depending on which box you get, mm -hmm. you will get at least 12 different characters or as much as, I think, 32? I think there's oh, wow. 32 different characters in the biggest box available. And of course, if you buy all three boxes, you will have more different characters than you can imagine. And they all feel very different. So there's six fighter archetypes, like there's mage or slugger or brawler, that are different playstyles, tactician, right? But within those playstyles, there's still wildly different ideas. Mm. One of the characters I was playing was Sentient Goo. <laughs> yes. And, 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 and left trails of goo all yeah, over the place. And then if I could pick up those goo, <laughs> you know, I could empower my attacks by throwing that goo out again. Uh, there's another character that's just a color, so it's like splatters paint everywhere. Right. And then there's like really mundane characters with names like Clive or <laughs> Jared, <laughs> and and all of it is anime themed. So it it feels so utterly bizarre and alternates between the completely wild and exotic to you know just boring, boring, mundane in in a blink of an instant. But I like that about it, that it has a variety of, of different characters because mm -hmm. maybe you do want to play like this vanilla character mm -hmm, and you mm -hmm. just want to go in and hit things, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have that as an option. If you want to play this sentient ooze or yeah. whatever, you can do that too. You can. And, you know, like what I like about it most is, is, is not... It's not that there's just like a big variety of different mm. characters to choose from. It's that every character is a different spin, a different idea of how mm. to interpret the system. And they come with their like own rules exceptions, and but also different play styles, mm. right? Uh, you can have two brawlers that feel completely different and follow a different path and you know, different strategies and different considerations. I, I think that's pretty cool. There's, there's a couple of things I want to pick up on. First of all, the price of Battlecon, regardless right. of which version you get. All of them are expensive, mm -hmm. and all of them feel like a game that was made in 2012, <laughs> uh, because the card quality is incredibly cheap. Mm. Uh, the borders, they don't help. I think sure. like they're functional, but they don't help internalize the game better. Uh, the artwork is hit or miss, mm -hmm. and I don't know, it just feels... A bit slapdash. Yeah, I I understand why they went with this kind of art direction because it was it's kind of fantasy like anime type thing, right? Mm. And they didn't I guess they didn't want to go, well, we're gonna make it look like the video games or whatever. Mm. But I didn't like it that much, honestly. Like and, and I feel like art is a, quite a big part of the game because it shows you who your character is it makes you and invested, what they can right? do yeah. right um and there really isn't much to it but what <laughs> what there is are backstories for all of the characters um and i'm not sure how useful they are but it was a fun read yeah, it's uh, frequently preposterous just as much as some uh -huh. of the ideas in the game uh -huh. 
I think we'll be delving more into BattleCon in the future. I think we'll be covering it uh, on video. Maybe. And I think people can get a better idea and a better sense whether this is something they want to invest themselves into mm. or not. Uh, but it's definitely a game that won't be for everyone. And I say that very vividly thinking of uh, one of our colleagues, uh, John Perkis, uh, has said, if a game emulates a real life equivalent, so like, like if it's a racing game, mm -hmm. you know, like a Formula One racing mm -hmm. game, right? If it's emulating Formula One racing, the speed of the game has to feel mm -hmm. like Formula One racing, mm -hmm. right? And that's one of the key things that I think uh, I land on BattleCon is that it never feels as speedy as a two-player kind of versus fighting game. Sure. But that might go to its advantage. Mm -hmm. I don't like two-player versus fighting games sure. because I'm not good at reacting with speed. I'm more into about hunkering down and exploring tactics so that slowdown moment kind of works for me but i think for some people that might get frustrating and i will say that the ex the time you spend thinking about what cards you're going to play is excessive and yes. it feels excessive yeah i think probably if you played with the same characters over and over again mm -hmm. uh, like like any game with a deck you would get used to what they do and how what they do in combination and how they work and I think you probably would get a bit speedier with it. But certainly we played mostly with different characters just to try them out. And both of us were sitting, waiting for the other one to, <laughs> to take their turn. I think um, maybe the game emulates more, more modern kind of uh, shooter games where you have this kind of almost bullet time thing where you have time to plan the game kind of pauses or mm -hmm, really mm, really really slows mm, down mm. and you can plan what you're going to be doing and be, like the enemies that appear yeah right and then you have this time to plan and you go okay i'm going to use this this and this attack on them mm. and then the game goes back into like real time yeah and then the attack happens and blah 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 so maybe that's what it's thinking of a little bit but no i i completely agree that will put some people off because it does not feel like those two player versus games And that, dear listeners, is the end of the podcast. If you want to leave us a comment about anything you've heard, any of the games that you've heard. About anything, anything you smelled. Any, any, um, maybe not. Uh, anything that we've said or any thoughts you have, you can do that on nopunincluded.com forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. The home of all the best smells. And with that, why don't you say goodbye, Elaine? Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine.